is a good illustration for us because he is very introspective. He is very good about studying and analyzing himself to figure out why is it that he does what he does? Why did he endure what he endured? What was the purpose of this particular event in his life? And how is he going to use it in ministry for the care of others? He's always thinking about these things. And so this passage is really cool in the fact that we find out that he's just as messed up as we are. And he he quotes this little phrase, or he says this little phrase uh, in verse 15, I do not understand what I do. How many of you are in that same boat? I do not understand what I do. That is a very crazy place to be, but it's a very real and transparent place to be. Because the fact is, we really don't know. Let's say that uh, something happens at the workplace, or something happens at home, and you blow up. You're irritated, agitated, you, you say things that you regret, you say it with a tone that you didn't mean, and you walk away from it thinking, why did I just do that? What was it about the circumstance? What was it about the persons involved? What was it about the things that were said that provoked me to respond the way I responded? Why do I act this way? And then we might write the same words, that which I do, I don't understand. I don't understand the way I think. I don't understand my triggers. I don't understand how I react the way I do to certain stimulus. But he goes on to say this. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, that's what I do. This is where we are. This is where we are. We do things that we don't necessarily want to, things that we don't really desire to, but we still do it anyway. So in the last couple of weeks, I've, and of course this is wedding season, and so, you know, I've got four weddings this year. All of them are going to be awesome. The, the first two have already been incredible. Look forward to the next two being equally as cr- incredible. But the thing is, from a pastor's perspective, and you do a lot of weddings, and so you question a lot of things. And the biggest question I always have in wedding season is, why do they do what they do? Why do they feel like they have to spend so much money Why do they have to have these huge elaborate dinners that are decorated beyond measure? Why do they have to have 25 groomsmen and 25 bridesmaids? Why do they have to spend $10,000 on the wedding ring and $20,000 on a dress you're going to wear one time? Why do they do these things? And, And so sometimes in counseling I'll say, why do you want me to do your service? Why do you want to have a religious presence in your relationship, in your, on your wedding day, why do you want God to bless your relationship? And, and a lot of times they really don't have an answer for that. Or they'll answer honestly and they'll say, you know what, I have no idea. Or they'll say, I do it because my mom wants me to do it in a church. I, I do it because my dad got married in this church. And so all of my family have always been married here. It's interesting just to find out why are you doing what you do. And why is it that some things that you hate to do that you still do it anyway, even though you know you hate to do it? So the question is, do you do it because you're, you, you want to, because of, of what circumstances have already been active in your life, or do you do things so that, so that you can get something in return, so that you can get a kickback of some sort, so that in some way, shape, or form, your life will get better, or, or your relationship will get better? Think about this. Every aspect of your life should be under scrutiny. The other day I heard Paige say something to somebody. She said, every once in a while, and bless you, 
So every once in a while, she'll say, yeah, every once in a while, Darren will just bring me a drink. He'll bring me a, a Coke Zero. And, and, I, and I thought about that, and it's nice that she says something to others, not that I want, you know, necessarily people to say, oh, well, you got a good husband. But yeah, I do. I want people to think that. But the thing is, I walk away from it questioning, why is it that I bring her a Coke Zero? Why do I do that at, at just spontaneous times? Why do I bring her a drink? Why is it sometimes I'll just show up with flowers? Is it so that I'll get something in return? Is it so that she'll be nice to me? Is it so that she'll cook my favorite dinner? Or, or something else that she'll let me go to a Cardinals game? You know, why do I do those things? Is there a so that attached to it? Or do I do it simply because of what she already has done in my life? Because of what she means to me? Do you see the difference? The, the, the answer to the question is that we're still in honeymooners. We're still in the infancy period. I mean, we've only been married in like three and a half years, but hopefully I'll still be doing this after 30 and a half years. Hopefully I won't quit. Hopefully none of you have quit. But when it comes to things that you do at work, why do you do those things? Why do you show up on time? Why do you leave on time? Or why do you stay late? Why do you uh, maintain integrity at work? Do you do it so that? You'll get a paycheck? Or do you do it simply because that's your character? Because of how you were raised or because you know it would please God? Why do you do the things you do at work? And then, of course, we have to look at things spiritually. Why do you come to church at all? Do you come to church so that God will bless you financially? Do you come to church so that he will bless you physically with good health? Do you come to church so that he'll bless your marriage and keep your marriage on the right track? Do you, ble- do you come to church so that he'll, he'll do something miraculous in your children, that he'll provide for them or nurture them, uh, bring them to maturity on time? You know, why do you come to church? That's a valid question. Why are you here today? Why do some of you come every single week and why do some of you only come once a month? Why? I mean, this is not for you to respond to me, but for you to do some introspection and ask yourself, why do you come to church when you do? What do you expect to get out of it? Or do you simply come just because? John chapter 12 is an interesting story. You know, you have this woman, uh, this Mary. Mary and Martha, you know the sisters, right? In chapter 12, it says that Martha was taking care of the dinner plans, and Mary uh, got this expensive thing of oil, and she poured it on his feet, and she began to anoint the feet of Jesus. And the disciples had an issue with that, simply because they didn't understand her motivation. They wanted to know, is she doing this so that she can get something in return? Is she like trying to win Jesus' heart over? Is she trying to make a scene here? Is she trying to make us uncomfortable because it's working? Why is she doing what she's doing? And we find it in the text that says that Jesus had just raised her brother Lazarus from the dead. She's not doing that so that. She's doing it because of what Jesus has already done in her life in her brother's life, and in her family. That's why she does it. So again, think about the question, why do you come to church? Why do you go to Sunday school or not go to Sunday school? So that or because? 
Why do you come to small groups? Why do you come to, to, to prayer meetings? Why do you come to Bible studies? Why do you do that? Is it so that something will happen in your life or simply because of what God has already done in your life? John 13 is another interesting story where Jesus uh, wanted to show the full extent of his love. That's the because. That's the why. But Jesus wanted to show the full extent of his love to his disciples on the last night of his relationship with them physically. And so he got off of his chair. He didn't have a chair. We know that. But anyway, uh, he got over there. He took off his outer garment and he began to wash the feet of all of his disciples. And they began to question his motivation. Why is he doing this? Is it so that we will do something extra for him? Or, or is he doing this so that he can prove a point? Is he trying to teach us? Why is he doing this? And the answer is to show the full extent of his love. He did it because he cared for them and he loved them. He did it because he wanted to show grace to them. Now, this is a, this is a, a, a interesting topic, and it can go for days and days if you let it. Believe me, I've let it, and it will go for days and days. One of my convictions has been this. As a pastor, there's been times that I get irritated, and irritated is probably the appropriate word. But I get irritated because of people's... Well, it's not just attendance, it's enthusiasm for the kingdom. Some people come to church and they act like it is this huge burden for them to be here. And you ask them to help with a project and they act like, oh my gosh, would you quit asking me to do stuff? You know, I do everything for you guys. And you keep asking. And, and the thing is, I wonder sometimes, why, when it comes to the church, do you do the stuff you do? And then I start uh, being convicted because there's a lot of times, I was raised in a Baptist church in southern Missouri that used guilt and shame a lot. And so this is how it worked in my life in high school. You know, I was a musician. I loved to play. I loved to play all the time. I was going to go to the military, study music, go to college, study music. And, and so my mom would say, why don't you play for us Sunday morning? And I'd say, no, I'm not going to waste my professionalism on this little church. I'm not going to do that. You guys don't appreciate jazz music or whatever it was. But they would shame me and guilt me to where I felt like, all right, I'll do it. And so why did I do it? So that they would get off my back so that they would back up and quit trying to make me feel guilty for not doing it. But as a result, my heart was never in it. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't want to do it. I just did it because of obligation. And so, so I always had a bitterness about doing stuff in the church because of why I did it, what my motivation was. I had a bitterness about doing chores around the house, cutting the grass, trimming the hedges, pulling weeds, washing dishes. I had a bitterness about all that. I'm sure you all probably never struggled with that. But in the process of learning, you know, studying, why is it that I do the things I don't want to do and the things I do want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. You know, we'll play on words there. Um, why do I do these things? Why do I get so bitter because of this? Because I feel trapped. Because I feel like I'm forced to do these things I don't want to do. And then how do I change that? How do I 
Because here's the thing, we're adults now. What if I, if I'm the pastor of a church and the church asks me to do stuff now I don't want to do? Am I just going to get bitter about it and have a bad attitude? Don't answer that. <laughs> the question is, why do I get bitter about it? Why do I get you know, hurt by this? Why do I feel pressure to do stuff I don't want to do? These are very important questions to ask. Look at, if you would, um, John chapter 3. And before I talk about that, I'll go another step. One of the things that I I noticed, and I'm I'm apologizing, apologizing, is that we we put uh, guidelines upon teenagers if they want to do the mission trip. We... um, we tell them they have to come to church at least twice a month, including Sunday school, that they have to participate in all the fundraisers, they have to attend youth group, and they have to maintain some level of, uh, of Christian faith. You know, we don't want them going out and acting like the world and then coming back on Sunday morning saying, yep, I'm back, you know. Uh, we want them to, to, to mature and to grow, right? And so I, I find that I get very frustrated because their heart isn't in it. And I find, isn't that what I deserve? To put those kind of restrictions and guidelines on people? Making them jump certain hurdles in order they can get the blessing? And so I get frustrated, but at the same time, it's my own fault for getting frustrated. And and the reason I I have that conviction is because God makes it very clear to me, uh, what restrictions did I put on you? When did I say that you have to go to church X amount of times? When did I say that you have to study X amount of hours in the Bible each day? When did I say that you need to spend this much time in prayer with me? When did, when did I put these restrictions on you that if you don't do this, I'm not going to bless your ministry? If you don't do this, I'm not going to bless your life. If you don't do this, I'm not going to bless your family. God has made it very clear to me that he has poured grace into my life. And that he expects us to do the same thing. But that's hard, isn't it? That's very hard. But, but here's the thing. I'd rather, I'd rather you all be here by choice, not because of guilt. I want you to choose to be in church as often as you will. Because of what God has already done in your life because of what he is doing in your life. Now, if you look at this passage in John 3.16, I know you know this one. You've probably heard it 100,000 times, depending on your age. Some of you have heard it more. But, But it says that, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him, should not perish, but have eternal life. Why did God do this? Did God do this so that, or did he do it because? Now, this is what I'm discovering, and this is what I think is cool, that the closer you get to the Lord, the more likely the so that and the because get intermingled. They come together. So that when when you're doing things because there's also going to be some so that's. 
And in this particular case, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It's his love. That is the because he sent his son. It's because he loved us, he sent his son. So there's a huge because there. But there's also a so that. He, he sent his son so that if we put our faith in him, that we could have eternal life. If you ask the, if you start thinking about this and pondering, and again, this will take days to sort through, and I haven't completed that process, but if you start thinking about why did Jesus voluntarily go to the cross for us, you'll come up with similar revelations. He did it because while we were still sinners, he loved us. We were on his mind on the cross. He loved us. He loved his father. So he went to the cross knowing that there was also going to be a so that. And his so that is that we may be forgiven of our sins, that death may be conquered in our lives, that sin may be conquered, and that we may have the strength to keep on fighting and to have joy in the midst of our despair and to have peace in the midst of our chaos and and that we can show love in situations where we've never seen love before. He did all of that because of his love for us so that we can change this situation. We can change our lives. We can change our families. We can change our church and our community. He did all of this on the cross, thinking about us, thinking that I'm doing it because I love you and because I know there will be a ripple effect. So here's the, uh, the summation of all of this. Why do you do what you do? Do you do things so that you'll get something in return, some kind of a kickback, or you do things simply because of what God has already done in your life? But the next step is this. Do you desire to do things because you love God and because of what he's already done in your life, because you love the church, because you love what the church has done for you or done in your life, do you just... Do you just want to love people as a response to the way they've loved you? And what could the so that's look like? If you truly gave your all to the church and loved them to the fullest of your capacity, would there be any so that's? Could it be so that people who are struggling could find some peace? Could it be so that uh, people who are in despair could find some joy just by you loving on them and praying for them and encouraging them? Could it be that when they're facing a difficult time that you could come at the right time and be a so that they could get out of that situation? I, I think that we definitely limit ourselves and, and the influence that we have on others because of the so that principle. But if we, if we mute it or, or mutate it into this because so that, man, I think the church would be really impressive. The last part of this, um, I've already told you there was a summation, but there was a part that I was going to leave out, but I don't feel like I should completely. Because this is part of my self-introspection, um, when I think about why am I a pastor, why did I accept the calling in my life, 
I think there's a lot of people that think people become pastors so that. So that they can have a job, so that they can have some kind of an influence on other people. Maybe they like power or control. Um, I don't know what other so that's there could be. Some people would say maybe you became pastor so that you would get into heaven. I guess that's possible. And in my personal conviction, I think it's important to make it very clear that the reason I am a pastor is simply because I was called. God called me into this. And lost in the midst of the darkness and the wilderness, wherever I was, he called my name, called me by name into a relationship and into a vocation. And he didn't force me to do it. He didn't shame or guilt me into it. He just said, look, this is an invitation. If you will come, I can use you. If you don't, then good luck to you. And so I decided that because of what God had done in my life, and continued to do in my life, that I was okay with that. So the very fact that I'm a pastor and the pastor here is not so that. I'll, t- I'll tell you this, it's not so that I'll get a paycheck. Because this, this has always been a pet peeve of mine, I'll just throw it out there, you don't have to pay extra for this. Churches don't pay pastors. Churches do not pay worship leaders. They don't pay youth pastors. They support them. If God calls us, God will provide for us. So we have to be very careful in saying we pay the pastor or we pay anybody else because you don't pay anybody. God simply uses your gifts to support those people. The difference is this. I work for the Lord, not for the church. And therefore, I please the Lord. And that is my first goal. Paul said it. My only goal in this world is to please God. And if men are pleased in the process, then so be it. But God is my first line of defense. And so that's why I'm here. Because of what God has done in my life. Because he said, look, I want you to go to these people. And I want you to love on them and help them to see me clearly. And help them to discover me at new levels. I'm not here at this church so that he'll continue to bless me or love me or whatever else. I'm simply here because he called me here. He sent me here. And and he says, now I want you to tell them what I tell you to say. And so I do that because of what he said to me. I do that because of how he's loved me. And, And it's a weird thing that if I'm not called to this, I will probably do it so that. And you will tell the difference. You will notice a difference if I'm not called to this. For one, I will be extremely angry and frustrated all the time because you're all not living up to the standard, right? And I'll be frustrated that he won't send me somewhere better. Anyway, let's just pray because I don't know where else to go. All right, (laughs) told you I was tired. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will continue to help us as we sort through these various thoughts and ideas. May you teach us. May you show us the right way. May you be patient with us. And may you help us to understand why do we do the things we do, including the things we don't do. Teach us, Lord. We can't figure this out on our own. We just simply don't understand it. But we pray that with the help of the Holy Spirit that we'll come to a consensus all so that we may be stronger, more faithful, 
more intentional, more effective. Thank you, Lord, for your patience. Thank you for loving us, even when we didn't know who you were. All this for your sake, we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and we're going to sing 326.